Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays at JM and the AM for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Well, thank you. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Appreciate that. Well, you know the big question. A lot of people are asking it. What do you think of the deal of the century? Well, it's obviously a complicated question, which is why people are asking about it. And I think even the people who are involved in the process are still asking many questions. I, I was at the ceremony in um, in the White House, and, and I have to say that it was um, uh, very encouraging, and it was very exciting in the sense that uh, obviously the audience was uh, self-selective, but it... it, it um, the, the focus on what the president had to say and the response by the prime minister uh, clearly said that this was a unique opportunity and a unique moment. And when you have an administration that is as committed as it is, um, it, it is a statement in and of itself. Look, I think it's premature to draw conclusions. What I think people are excited and, and optimistic is about the opportunity that perhaps this will be a breakthrough, and if the Palestinians, unlike past agreements, don't come through, it doesn't stop Israel from being able to move ahead on some of the provisions in the agreement. And the, the already the fact that the government of Israel postponed the discussion and that there are already some statements coming out from people involved, uh, let's say, uh, redefining people had understood from the initial announcement uh, and the pressure not to annex and even maybe not to apply sovereignty right away um, is an indication of that. But it, it is to be expected because it's, it is such a complex arrangement. It's 80 pages. So first it put the lie to all of those who said that there wasn't really a deal and they didn't have a document and were skeptical and mocking of the process, one has to congratulate the people involved because it's a very thoughtful, very detailed, and yet it's only the first stage because you have to get down with very fine maps and and look at connecting roads. You have to look at where lines would be. This is, let's say, a 10,000-foot look. you got to get down to the one-foot look to be able to actually implement uh, a lot of the provisions. But the principle that Israeli sovereignty would be applied to, let's say, the Jordan Valley and other areas, something that Yigal alone already had proposed, others had proposed and saw, that is the natural uh, boundary and important to, to Jordan, important to Israel, uh, that uh, control be maintained there. Otherwise, it becomes an open uh, gateway for terrorists to attack both countries, but also for Iran to continue to push through Iraq into Jordan and put them right on the border as they are in Gaza, as they are in Lebanon. Uh, I think people should look at the, uh, at the document and at the reports, both of the president's remarks and the prime minister's remarks, uh, which drew, as you know, a lot of applause because they were, um, I think, addressing an issue that everybody wants to see solved. The fact that three Arab ambassadors were there uh, the UAE, Bahrain, and Oman, uh, and were joined in statements afterwards by the Egyptians, the Saudis, others, um, supportive of moving ahead on the agreement, and I think putting pressure on the Palestinians to finally stop the obfuscation, stop the, the, the uh, 
of any kind of progress as they have for the last century. And every time that there wasn't a negotiation, the Palestinians, the Arabs said no, and the Jews said yes. And now we have an opportunity in, with a deal that provides a lot for the Palestinians. The distorted media coverage that this is only a one-sided deal when, in fact, the Palestinians get up to $50 billion in investments and, and aid, that they get defined borders, that they get a state, that they get the recognition by Israel of it. And the prime minister said it at the, at the conference and in accepting uh, participation in the process. Uh, that, that that essentially is a, a new breakthrough in, in terms of uh, the positions governments of Israel have taken, uh, and and that they would have contiguity. They would double the land under their control. Israel would retain 30%. They would get 70%. I guess there would be land swaps, uh, as has been discussed before. So the idea that this is completely one-sided, that Israel has to make concessions in this, as any deal would have uh, demanded, uh, and many people are jumping to conclusions and criticisms and statements, both from the left and the right, without actually reading right. what the framework provides. It's interesting. I, I think, um, in a way, um, uh, the PA or you know representatives of that you know general uh, opinion, um, meaning the, the best interests or self interests of those who are on the other side of this issue, I think they did a good job in advance of um, of propagandizing this whole process. That it would be one-sided, and that one, one, once once it became available to the public, once it became uh, public information, what's in this deal, it, it was sort of like you know a fait accompli that everything that they had predicted in terms of the one-sidedness came true. And I think they did a good job with that propaganda leading up to this, and they had time to do it. This took a this took a while to get this plan out there, uh, as we know. Um, the other thing is, is, is there a practical difference? If there is, you've got to explain it to us. Is there a practical difference between annexation and sovereignty? So I've asked this question many times myself. Uh, and, and by the way, we should remember that they worked on this three years. Right. And that they went into such detail, uh, much more so than other proposals in the past, and, and I think is a more realistic guideline to, to erode to the final whatever agreement is reached between the parties. Right. Um, in terms of annexation, I think if there is a legal difference, sovereignty means that, that they, they will be in charge and make the decisions. Annexation means that it becomes part of the state of Israel. Right. So, I mean, legally. So there is a distinction, I'm told, but it's a legal distinction in terms of uh, on the ground. If the Jordan Valley being under Israeli sovereignty means Israeli troops control it, that Israel, uh, Israeli law would apply there. Uh, that um, so the distinction becomes somewhat blurred. Now, now you were there in Washington, so we we can imagine that the the type of people, the, the the names and titles of people that you spoke to, uh, both before, during, and after this announcement. Uh, how is it that this annexation rumor? started immediately that the second this this speech ended it seemed like the first news item that came out is that on sunday meaning this coming sunday the israeli cabinet is voting on annexation then we heard it was postponed till tuesday and now based on what you're telling us we really don't know if there will or won't be a vote in the immediate future how did that start right away like that well because of statements the prime minister and others made in the course of uh, the build-up to the elections in israel when you've had so many 
comment statements at different uh, times. So the issue of annexation was really raised from that uh, perspective, uh, and people then uh, jumped on it, not knowing the distinction and not listening to what was actually said about applying sovereignty. But the U.S. clearly put pressure on them not to do anything until after the elections in Israel, and I guess want to give time for the uh, all the parties to 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 absorb what was proposed, and to, they're trying to get support from others. As you notice, Jordan hasn't uh, supported. It's actually quite critical. Um, Egypt expressed reservations. I mean, no, everybody, uh, all the parties uh, will, because this is a very complicated and and uh, and demanding process. And, and people don't understand. They think it's just a question of saying yes or no, or, or agreeing to some to, to the details. You have to see how does it how does it lay out. How do they connect the roads? How do they assure the security? How do they build the tunnel to Gaza, linking the West Bank and Gaza? You know, it's not. It's easy to say it. It's very difficult to do it. Uh, I think the prime minister was very forthcoming in his remarks. I think it was smart that. Uh, Gantz was invited. The fact that the two major parties in Israel accept this agreement, uh, uh, unfortunately, we've seen a lot of criticism coming from uh, here, even from some uh, orga- uh, Jewish organizations um, who, who I think didn't read it because their their criticism is so one-sided about uh, the Palestinians. Mm. The fact is, Palestinians are the ones who have refused to cooperate and to participate with administration officials in the drafting and in the discussions. Was Gantz in the room? I know it may sound like a silly question. Was he in the room? Because you wouldn't have noticed it from the coverage I saw. No, he went back right away. He came Ah. for the hour meeting on Monday, and then he returned because he wanted to be part of the vote on immunity, and then the prime minister withdrew his immunity request. So he was already back in Israel. So the prime minister clearly won the PR battle, if there was one, between him and his opponent during this visit to the United States. I mean, the amount of FaceTime he got with the president and the amount of coverage he got with the, from the press was 99 to 1 compared to his opponent. Yes, I think after the two events, actually, the Holocaust commem- the uh, commemoration of the Auschwitz 75 and the World Holocaust Forum meeting where the prime minister was seen with all of the leadership uh, you know, that came whether it's Putin, Macron, others and others. So he ha- he was on center stage there. Uh, and then here, I think that the that Gantz gained by the fact that he had a private meeting uh, with Netany- with uh, President Trump, that he uh, by- avoided the situation where he would have been seen as a second fiddle, that he had his own time, came out with his own statement. Uh, but clearly Netanyahu got the bulk of the exposure and of the hand class and hugs with the president. Right. Now, now we're doing this weekly update for almost 20 years, and you've been on this show um, even much longer than that. Uh, if I know you well, I have to, and at this point I think I do in terms of your opinions on Israel, uh, I have to assume that the, mo- the most important thing that happened at the White House uh, this week was that the president did something that um, that nobody else has done previously, and that has changed the entire conversation about the Middle East. You always talk about in the negotiating process how when you bring something up, often that item becomes where the negotiation starts from next time, and that's always very dangerous for Israel. 
Uh, this time, it seems the president has basically drawn lines in a completely different area and has really shifted the conversation in terms of what he feels and therefore the U.S. feels Israel needs to do to have a real peace agreement. Well, certainly it comes closer to, to what Israel's basic requirements were. Uh, but again, Israel made concessions, the idea that you would have a capital of whatever the right. entity that will emerge for the Palestinians in a sector of East Jerusalem, but that Jerusalem would remain united, including the old city being under Israeli uh, sovereignty, I think is a you know, very big breakthrough from what had been said before, where they wanted to internationalize the, quote, holy basin, unquote, which was, would be a disaster, um, and, and other pr- provisions that had been suggested that would have compromised Israel's role and, and divided the city in one way or another. So the... You know, the, you're right about the nature of the uh, of the debate. They obviously see this administration as very pro-Israel, and the Palestinians immediately went on the attack and joined by Iran and a few others uh, in that kind of blatant attack on on the, the deal. But it is not free of concessions from Israel, and it offers so many things to Palestinians that have been completely ignored in a lot of the coverage. Uh, who trying to cite this as as being a one sided deal? Uh, when you mentioned earlier Egypt and Jordan, we're classifying them as basically having stayed silent on this. I mean, normally, no. normally in the old days they'd be all over this, but they've basically stayed out at the moment. No, Egypt issued a, a, a statement, positive statement, um, qualified. Uh, Jordan is uh, more critical of it; has not come out with a statement in support. Uh, their ambassadors did not attend the uh, ceremony. Uh, Jordan is always given a buy because they have the 70% Palestinian population because he, the king is always you know, on the, de- the, the cutting edge of destruction. Um, uh, but at some point they're going to have to make decisions because this really benefits Jordan immensely that, that uh, having Israeli troops, Israeli sovereignty in the Jordan Valley solves a, a, a potential vulnerability for, for them as well. And there were benefits, economic benefits, that would um, that Jordan would derive as well. Uh, and if anything, that if that would solve or uh, contain the conflict, that would give the Arab states in the region the opportunity to have more open and full relationships with Israel, and would allow them to focus on the common interests of fighting Iran and an aggressive Turkey now um, to to do other things, uh, trade and. Obviously, they want to benefit from Israeli technology, and and they look at Israel as a source of stability in in the region. So the you know the interests are many, and and it will take time. It will take the um, new leadership, perhaps on the Palestinian side, to be able to move this forward. To keep denying the people what they want, which is the opportunity to have a living and to to you know fulfill their aspirations. All right before we get to the PA. Uh, UK, France, Germany, uh, that common block. Um, uh, Russia, what was their reaction to all this? Um, some were muted and some, uh, 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 England, uh, Johnson, I think, said, had some muted, had some support, uh, expressions of support. Um, but again, the Europeans are always where they are, and that is, number one, if it's President Trump proposing stuff, they're not going to be so supportive. Right. Number two, they they have always been one-sided in the, in the approach on some of these issues. But I think the um, response is more 
optimistic and more hopeful, saying that it, at least it fills the void when they say that there was nothing going on and how they kept saying that they didn't believe anything would ever come forward and that they that the president would wait till the next term and even denying the existence of the plan. Uh, I think that this, uh, you know, has something on the table, and that's what they welcomed, that they that there is some basis for discussion. And now that's when negotiations then do. You define and refine what was been proposed. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web, and com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Two, two philosophical or you know, general points that I think, you know, th- th- this is for the children and grandchildren to make sure we, we tell them about this. Uh, the first is uh, more of a practical thing. Uh, the list, the list of offers from, I don't know, where do you want to start? 1900, 1920, 1935, the list of offers to the Arab community uh, to live side by side with Israel in peace has been uh, voluminous, and every one of them has ended with a no from the Arab side. So I'm assuming that there's no reason to think that they're going to change from their uh, current opinion, which is a complete no on the Trump plan. But we should remind our children and grandchildren that there has been there have been many many efforts in the past, coordinated by the UN, coordinated by the United States, etc., 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 all through the past century. Uh, to, to get something done, and Israel's always been there, or the Jewish potential Jewish state's always been there, and the the other side has never been interested. So when they're rejecting this one, I think it's an important reminder that they've never accepted anything. It, that is right, and I said before that uh, every negotiations, and, and if we have to only look back a few years to what Olmert and uh, Barack, as when they were prime ministers, offered, which was, 95, 98%. The message here is finally coming across that the longer you wait, the more you lose. Right. And that, and the fact is that the Arab world is sick and tired of it, that they want this issue resolved. They're tired of the kleptocracy in the, in the Palestinian Authority. The fact that, that the unrest, et cetera, which impacts their street as well, uh, and that the issue itself has been of diminishing uh, impact and that they that the longer that they lay and the longer that they continue to be obstinate, <clears throat> the less support they're going to have. The countries have a lot of other issues, ranging from Iran and other security threats to their own internal economic situations. So the uh, uh, the Palestinians, uh, the people certainly, uh, would get the message that time is not on their side. As you remember, every argument always was. Well, time is on the Arab side. Number one, if you look at the demographic arguments, that has shifted. The political arguments, that has shifted. Never before in the negotiations did you have, uh, or would you have considered the possibility that three Arab ambassadors would be sitting there and applauding some of it and uh, being acknowledged in that, then half a dozen or more have already come out with statements that uh, one could say was supportive of the process, even if not of the specific um, requirements. And the and, you know the implications now when after we've seen what went on in Syria and what we've seen and is going on or in Lebanon or in Iraq and the the dangers posed from the outside parties makes this all the more imperative for them that they want this issue off the table because they want to be able to work with Israel and confront openly in confronting uh, the dangers of a, of a potentially nuclear but certainly missile laden Iran. Um, and an aggressive uh, Turkey and the uh, forces of Islamism 
that abounds in the region. These are our different circumstances. The Arab League, I know, is uh, holding urgent meetings, and they can say, um, uh, this was at the request of the Palestinians, but Abbas's credibility has been so diminished, and, and he just swore to reject any American peace plan and said that they are, uh, that um, uh, he said other than with security officials, they would have no contact. You know, these kind of blatant rejections no longer sit well with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the, the reaction from the right in Israel, and obviously there's some sympathy here for those who don't like, uh, you know, anything being negotiated. I would rather have the entire Judea and Samaria annexed. I get that. Um, and then, of course, the question is if it brings Israel more security, with Egypt being the example, you know, in the long run, is it better to do this? And I understand that whole argument. But what about the left? I'm told that the media in Israel, which is dominated, of course, by the political left, has been freaking out over this whole agreement and is not uh, and, and is not embracing it at all. Is that the general feeling in the Israeli media? Well, I can't say at all. I would say that uh, the left, obviously, and especially because you have an election coming up on March 2nd, is going to be jumping on it. They don't want to see Netanyahu get credit or, you know, that this would uh, detract from the, um, the legal processes and other focuses that they want to have for uh, their um, their criticism. And some of the leftist organizations here in the United States also took uh, uh, critical positions. And and it's a little strange when they are more critical than the, the Arab countries <laughs> in the region oh, yeah, about yeah. the provisions. <laughs> but, you know, and, and I think in many instances it almost looks like people haven't read the deal when they... Um, when they look at it, you know, the, the right of return being resolved outside the borders of Israel. Critical, because everybody agrees that this couldn't fly, that Israel couldn't absorb them. And, and it, by putting it there and saying that they'll help resolve the issue, but not at Israel's expense. I'm, why I tell people you've really got to read all of the provisions, look at it, and study it, and don't, don't jump to conclusions about what you think are, is or isn't in it. And people don't take the time. Uh, to, to actually study it and, and realize it's such a complex thing that they were even able to get um, uh, into as much detail as they did, I think is is remarkable. We know that you don't trust the polls in Israel and you advise all of us at all times not to take them seriously, which we get, and you're right. But nonetheless, didn't you think that he would get, meaning Bibi, would get some bump in the polls from all of this this week? And it seems, at least based on what I'm reading, that the numbers really haven't changed much at all over the last few days. That is true. There doesn't appear to be a change. And, um, you know, a lot of this, you can say, was discounted because there had been so much hype and so much buildup that the actual impact um, wasn't that great. Um clearly coming on the same day that he withdrew his immunity plea and that the processes against him are, are beginning, right. that the negative impact, I think, was limited. So it might be more positive than we know in terms of a reaction because he might have been much more down. Um, but I think Israelis are two degrees skeptical when it comes to the proposals because they've seen it so often. Uh, and I don't think that they had a chance yet to really read it and, and react to it. Uh, I think many of us who have I attended the briefing afterwards and it clarified much of the understanding. So, for instance, now Israel, and I think it goes into effect immediately, 
that Israel agreed to a four-year freeze on development in the area uh, that would be under Palestinian control. And, but at the same time, the application of, of sovereignty over the areas like the Jordan Valley, etc., would proceed as well. So that was the understanding with the United States. So you have two parallel processes, one between the United States and Israel, and one between Israel and the Palestinians, right. with the United States obviously involved. There's a rumor that Jonathan Pollard's heading to Israel in the next few days. Is there anything you could tell us to shed light on this topic? Only that we pray and hope that it's true. Um, the fact that Anama was, uh, was released from, uh, from prison in Russia was a very welcome development, uh, but I think that the Pollard case is, is such an egregious one, and everybody's just waiting. Uh, I think his patience is beyond any expectation, and that hopefully he and his wife will be able to come to Israel and live normal lives and live out their years uh, there. And uh, we hope, but you never know. I, I have no reason, no, no basis to know whether it's actually going to happen or not. We spoke last week about Nama and uh, mentioned the possibility that it could cost Israel uh, to respond the way they have and, uh, you know, represent the people of Israel the way they've had because there was such an effort there, uh, both in the media and among uh, regular citizens, to get her released. Is there a practical price that was paid for her, or it's hard to really determine uh, in, in the relationship between Russia and Israel if, if Israel had to sacrifice something in order to get her out? We, again, in these kind of cases, it's much better that things are quiet and everybody saves face, and it's a gesture by the Russians and persistence by the prime minister, um, whether there will be some sort of an exchange or somebody else gets released, ultimately, we don't know. But um, the good thing is she's home. Finally, on the White House piece, and you, you got to indulge me, and you always do, and I thank you for that. Uh, philosophical point, this is the second thing I wanted to mention earlier. Uh, and again, we sit down with children and grandchildren tonight. Uh, it must have been overwhelming for you, and we know your family's background. We've become very familiar with your history. It must have been overwhelming for you on a variety of levels, being in the White House in Washington, D.C., in the U.S., and hearing this type of speech from the President of the United States, especially thinking back, as so many of us have over the last week, to Auschwitz. It's been on everyone's uh, you know minds because of the events of the last week. I, I could only imagine uh, the emotion you felt as you were listening to the President speak in the White House earlier this week? It was, in fact, very emotional, and you're right. I do have flashbacks, and especially because of the events commemorating the 75th anniversary that, that so much more information has come out. Uh, you know, 75 years later and 85 years uh, later than when they occurred, and the indifference of the world, the... the um, lack of caring as, as the Jews were, were massacred, and the fact that, and I will tell you, the height of emotion was the fact that 60 world leaders showed up in Jerusalem. Right. And it's in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Countries that didn't want to recognize Israel's, it is his capital, but also Israel's right there. And here they all had to come in Jerusalem, pay tribute to it. And then to stand there and and pledge, and I think the president of Germany's comments were very strong, acknowledging, as he did again in in Berlin, that they haven't yet come to terms with it fully. And for, as we always say each time, uh, that the number of of survivors,
survivors are diminishing, and in five years or ten years, there will be none left. Uh, so the eyewitnesses are gone at a time, and while they're still alive, and, and more and more discoveries of information come out, we still see the denial. We still see the people not willing to take responsibility, and those who try to engage in revisionist history, I mean, governments, uh, about their roles or the roles of their people or, or what really occurred, and uh, that you can have uh, university professors uh, denying the fact that, that the six million died and that the the um, industry of Holocaust denial continues to grow. And yet here you had, uh, what was it, I think, for anybody with sensitivity, a really moving ceremony and the acknowledgement and then the fact that it happened again in Auschwitz and that there are others and there's a meeting in Toronto, Albania coming up in, in Sweden later on, countries which weren't necessarily on the forefront of, of being providing security for the Jewish communities or, or aiding and abetting are, are beginning to, to confront it and to have to look at this, at both what happened during, uh, during the war when countries that we believe were neutral were far from neutral and were more of, more uh, engaged in collaboration with the Nazis, and for them, especially for young people here who did not know what Auschwitz was. More than half of young Americans in a poll before did not know. I think today it's very hard to believe that with all the coverage that that number hasn't changed dramatically. Right. Whether there's sympathy or not, we don't know, but at least that the message has got out. I think that Governor Cuomo was just moved by what happened and decides to go to Auschwitz, not to speak, not to do anything, just to identify and, and announces some of the programs that, that he has on Holocaust education, et cetera, and so are others now following the lead. And, and maybe, maybe we will see out of all of this uh, a different recognition of the generation that is, feels very uh, separated from the events of 75 years ago and, and its relevancy. A couple of more things. What can you tell us about the rockets from Gaza and the response from Israel over the last 24 hours? Well, the sirens went off, as you know, and the uh, and rockets hit, and Israel responded, responded strongly. And while generally there's been a, I don't know if it's a ceasefire or some sort of agreement arrangement that generally held with Hamas, Pidge, and others are not, and Israel's holding Hamas responsible because they are the power there. And the fact that the balloons continue to fly, and, and it's such an insidious uh, attack, you know, because children, they land in people's backyards and schoolyards and other things, and people, the kids see a, a soccer ball that has an explosive inside of it tied oh. to the balloons or other incendiary devices. No, nobody talks about this. I mean, this is the most base violation of any, uh, uh, you know, laws of war or conflict. These are real war crimes when you're targeting civilians and, and, and children in such a, a horrific way. Uh, thank God that the, the effectiveness is limited and kids are aware and know not to, but what's to stop a child who sees a soccer ball landing in his backyard not to want to run out and, and uh, pick it up and, God forbid, have the consequences. What, what was Erdogan's reaction to what happened in Washington this week? It's pretty muted so far, but of course he's, you know, he's critical of the administration, critical of Israel, but I think it was more muted than some people would have expected. And uh, do you think they're finally feeling the the home stretch of this election in Israel? It's now, I mean, tomorrow's February 1st, obviously a month away. Uh, are things accelerating? Because when we were there a couple of weeks ago, it looked like nobody had any interest whatsoever. 
I think people are exhausted from the whole process. Uh, I think they're they're worrying about a fourth round or, again, it being inconclusive. I don't believe that's the case. I think the political leaders and others know that the tolerance level has run out. That people do not want to, to uh, emerge out of this election, again, with question marks and, and no uh, government. Uh, whether there will be a, a big change or not, we don't know. Uh, you know, again, polls are not predictive enough to, to tell us. What do you think of the president's uh, uh, analysis of the election process in Israel? A bit unfair or uh, or accurate? <laughs> no, I think he's he's expressing a frustration that is felt uh, certainly in Israel and it's felt here in the United States. And and because you can't make long term commitments when you don't know what right. the outcome, and you don't have right. a government really functioning, and and you no know, decisions are made. You still have ministers in place, but the Knesset doesn't meet. You know this is. There's a limit to how long you can have this kind of paralysis. Right. I, I just I just like what he says. We have to take a look at it as if it's an as right. if it's, as if it's an issue for Washington that they have to right. examine it right. and, and fix. You know, it's like the funniest well, it thing. It shows you how close the relationship is. That sometimes we talk in we, so <laughs> they. Finally, Malcolm, um, what did you think of where the Temple Mount and its status ended up after the president's speech and revelation of the uh, uh, deal of the century? Given the past history and the record of, of the, the attempts to internationalize and the attempts to deny sovereignty and to, um, uh, you know, not just on our bite, but the, the only places generally, uh, I think that this is a meaningful compromise. It, it really sustains the status quo, but it declares that this area would be under Israeli sovereignty, even though the Waqf would continue to control events on Temple Mountain, they said that there shouldn't be, you know, significant change to it. Uh, so, you know, the fact that they didn't bypass it and say, as was true in past negotiations, you know, we'll leave it to a final status issue. This is a, an issue for the last stage of negotiations. Right. It put it in the framework, and and now I think the Palestinians then better wake up and say, as as with the other things, that time is running out, that, that we're Nuke facts are being created. That the Middle East is changing doesn't mean it can't flip tomorrow. It doesn't mean that we won't see another wave of the protests and or, or the Islamization, the efforts of Erdogan to spread this, this Muslim Brotherhood-based ideology and Iran uh, doing the same. Uh, that uh, you know, time is is not on one side or the other. The, what's on both sides is to reach an agreement and and stop the conflict and let them focus their resources and the attention on the enemies that both face. Well said. I thank you so much for your time. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Shabbos, be well. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.